Welcome, everyone. Welcome to our group here as we meet. And uh, I want to begin by sharing that this past week for me has been interesting, to say the least. I, uh, it's been quite a week. And the reason is because the street I live on in Flagstaff is kind of at the center of where the flash floods have been happening. So it's kind of the epicenter. And so there's been three flash floods in that area of a lot of water. And it's because of the museum forest fire scar. And I don't know a lot about ecology, but water runs fast after a fire. And, and our house is in a vulnerable spot. So kind of the water kind of it eddies and it's kind of rushing on one side and then it eddies and kind of builds up on another side. And, and so I, I want to begin by saying, to be very clear, my partner and I are doing really well. And we feel incredibly fortunate in the sense of uh, no water has gotten into our house or near the house and a lot of debris, but no water in our house, which we're so grateful for to have that, that we're so protected. And in terms of like friends and so many of you Sangha members and community has helped us so much to move forward. So for all of you, a lot of you kind of reached out, some of you have brought us sandbags, which I'm really grateful for, and other things, and it's what keeps us afloat, and uh, I, I feel lucky and grateful, so it's my partner. And as I said, yeah, we're doing fine. And I also want to give a shout out to the city. The city has done such a, at least for us, a spectacular job over these years around us. It's, it's, uh, it's an amazing thing. And I've realized that our street now, I think, has become the tourist attraction, <laughs> both for locals and out-of-towners. Sometimes it feels like there's a stream of cars that kind of coming through and taking pictures and, you know, uh, journalists and uh, weird weather um, cars and things like that. Uh, I, I never knew I'd, I'd live at the heart of a kind of a tourist center, but here I am. <laughs> And I, I also want to be honest, you know, it's been a whole host of kind of feelings and experiences. You know, of course, it's been scary and terrifying. It's been unsettling. It's also been amazing and wondrous to see nature at work like that. It's like this whole mixture of things. And there's been a tremendous amount of gratitude and a feeling of being fortunate for being supported. So it's like this mixture of experience that's been happening. And for a time, what I'd like to do is I'd like to share with you some reflections about that experience and really tie it into our spiritual practice. Because hopefully you'll hear, I want to expand this. Like we all have our floods that we're dealing with. And I think it's a, it's a really potent metaphor actually that the Buddha uses quite often. I'll get to that. It's a powerful metaphor. So that's why I'd like to share with you some reflections. Yeah, before that, I, I want to acknowledge and be clear that I'm, I'm speaking to you uh, and sharing from uh, 
my particular context, which is a place of relative safety. And that's important, given especially what's going on right now. And I just want all of us to slow down right now, and even if you're on Zoom, to get a sense of slowing down and bringing into your heart, you know, all those that are impacted, all those beings that are impacted, whether it be the, the flooding in Europe or in India, like in Himachal uh, uh, Pradesh or in, in Mumbai, the mudslide in, that happened in Japan a while ago, flooding that happened in southern China, of course here in Flagstaff, Grand Canyon, and the list goes on. And I think it's nice if we could just take a moment to slow down, just to, to, to give our hearts to all of those beings affected by floods. Thank you, everyone. And just to be clear, the reason I want to contextualize where I'm sharing from is just so that what I'm sharing tonight, you're not overgeneralizing to every single situation. So a little bit about uh, the framework and history in terms of Buddhism. In early Buddhism, uh, the Buddha was sometimes called the wise one who had crossed over the flood or the sage who had crossed over the flood. And often, at least in one uh, collection of discourses, the connected discourses, one who is fully awakened is the one who has crossed over the flood. They've crossed over the flood to the shore of safety, to the shore of freedom. It's a, a, a potent metaphor that comes uh, back again and again and again. And then there's the the metaphor also of the raft that carries us over the, the flood. What's that raft? It's often talked about is in terms of the Noble Eightfold Path. Some of you may, might know that teaching in Buddhism. Or it's the raft more generally of the Dharma, of these teachings that, that have this ability to be a raft that we float over the flood. It's not getting rid of the flood, it's floating over the flood. And and just to contextualize this during the Buddhist time, remember during the Buddhist time, he was living in India where there was a rainy season, usually from anywhere from June to October. And during that time, there was often a lot of flooding that was happening. That was a seasonal thing. And you might remember, for those of you who are here, last time I spoke a lot about place and environment and how it, it shapes our spiritual practice. And I want to say it shapes it in a good way. It gives it its life when we're connected to life. And during the Buddhist time, what I, when I reflect on it I, in a, around the rainy season, what I remember is like, oh, a lot of water. They were experiencing a lot of water during that time. I remember in the early 90s, I was in Kolkata, and it was during the rainy season. It was unbelievable. I mean, one thing, it was just normal, natural life that you're in, this, in, the, in all these streets and the water's up to your knees or higher. And people are just living in that. That is living. That's life. And you 
trot on through that. And all these living creatures and beings come out of the earth. They, they get disrupted. And then there's this whole process around that. And these beings, I was speaking to a friend of mine, a colleague who we were, we were talking about the rainy season, and she grew up part of the time in India. And she said, yeah, there's like snakes swimming around, <laughs> trying to navigate them and other creatures, you know. And you're just living in the midst of floods. And uh, it's, it, what's so fascinating about this is that the, the rainy season shaped the spiritual practice. So during the rainy season, there was something called uh, vasa or wasa, which is the, the monastics were encouraged. It was a rule, a monastic rule, to take three months to find a dwelling and meditate there during the rainy season. And there was two reasons for that. One is, is like the travel was so difficult during that time. So to be in a, a, a place made it much easier. And then in terms of the new crops were coming up, so they weren't trampling on the crops of people growing and also all these living beings. So it had a, a, a sensitivity to the environment and to the, to, to the communities that they were in. And it shaped their practice. And even today, like uh, a common question that one monastic will ask another monastic when they first meet is they'll ask, how many vasa have you done? How many vasa do you have? So it means how many rainy seasons, how many rains retreats have you done? And it's an indication of seniority. So basically how many years have you been a monastic? But it's determined by rainy seasons. This is part and parcel of this. And not only that, the, the Buddha talks about floods. There's these lists. You know, you know how Buddhism is, these lists. There's four floods or five floods. And to keep it simple, it's, uh, it's, it refers to the currents in our internal experience that can flood us. And it almost feels like they're flowing. I don't know if you have the sense of it. Like, and, and I think to just keep it simple, it's kind of like maybe you've noticed this, those anxieties or those worries that feel like they're uh, the, kind of the obsessive cravings or the flows of judgments or criticisms towards yourself or to, towards others. It can almost feel like there's a current of that. You ever felt that? Sometimes with worry when I'm in one of those myths, it's like, well, there's just a current of this. <laughs> and it's like shaping things. It's like the heart and mind, it gets a little bit of data. And then from that data, it heaps on these entanglements and it starts to flow and flood. Right? Just a little bit of rain on top of the mountain and then it doesn't seem to soak in and it just careens on the surface <laughs> of your mind and heart and it explodes into a flood. Can you relate to this? Am I the only one that experiences internal floods? And he uses it for good reason, right? Because everyone can relate to that experience in who he's talking to. And when I put, put it in this context, when I get a feeling sense, when I get a sense of what I witnessed during those three times of this flood of water, and also the, the sense of internally kind of internal floods. Uh, the question that comes is, how is my heart navigating the flood? 
And in some ways, that's the question I want to leave to all of you. Like when you feel stress or suffering or the, the undercurrent of anxiety or judgments, how is your heart navigating it? How do you navigate it? Because to me, that's so much the key to start to build the raft, to, to float on the raft, to cross the flood to the other shore. And I want to back up just to make sure there is a feeling sense also on the opposite side. Like, as I said, you might have a feeling sense of floods, as I said, anxieties, worries that can be careening underneath or feel like they're always going on. But some of you, especially if you've tasted meditation, sometimes we get a taste where it's like, oh, it feels like I've crossed over that. Oh, I've gotten a taste of the other side. Oh, I feel more open. I feel more here. I don't feel like I'm on autopilot. I actually feel like I'm present. Or I feel like I'm on stable ground. That's what I love about floating over. It's like, oh, the other shore, it feels like I'm on stable ground. And that too can be really inspiring to get a sense of crossing over in this sense. So again, this question, how is my heart navigating the flood? And I want to point out, like, I don't get to decide if there's going to be a flood or not. And this is super important because both with internal and now I can realize it with external floods, it would be so sweet if I could navigate or time those floods to happen at certain times so that they worked for my life. But it doesn't work that way. They're uncontrollable. And yet there can be an urge for that or a feeling like I should be in control enough so that they only happen or don't happen. Maybe you've noticed that doesn't work so well with internal thoughts and external thoughts. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna share with you um, uh, just some teaching, a teaching from the Buddha around how do you navigate a flood? He's really speaking to us in terms of our practice. And before I do that, what I invite you to do is to reflect, what are the floods happening in your life right now? What are they? What are the internal floods that, that visit you? Maybe you live somewhere like me, maybe there are external floods or different kinds of floods. Whatever it is, the anxieties, the worries, the health issues, the conflict at work or at home or with a partner or a friend or a child. What is the flood for you? the very small subtle ones, as well as the more significant ones. And just to make note of what those are. Okay, so with that in, in mind, I wanna share with you this discourse, this uh, interchange that happens between the celestial being who comes and visits the Buddha, and how the Buddha replies as a celestial being who's interested you know, in freedom. So it begins, I'm just gonna read the whole thing to you because I think it's uh, quite striking. I've heard that on one occasion, the Blessed One, who's the, the Buddha, 
was staying near Savati in Jetta's Grove and not to Pindaka's monastery. Then a certain deva in the far extreme of the night, her extreme radiance lighting up the entirety of Jetta's Grove, went to the Blessed One. On arrival, having bowed down to him, she stood to one side. As she was standing there, she said to him, tell me, dear sir, how you crossed over the flood. And then the Buddha replies, I crossed over without pushing forward and without staying in place. But how, did, dear sir, did you cross over the flood without pushing forward and without staying in place? And the Buddha replies, he says, well, when I pushed forward, I was whirled about. And when I stayed in place, I sank. And so I crossed over the flood without pushing forward and without staying in place. And then the David, the celestial being, says, at long last I see a Brahmin, totally unbound, who without pushing forward, without staying in place, has crossed over the entanglements of the world. This is what the Deva said. The Buddha approved. And realizing that the Buddha had approved, she bowed down to him, circumambulated him, going around him, keeping him to her right, and then vanished right there. So again, I, I ask you, what are the floods in your life? And have you noticed, do you have a feeling sense of when you're trying to push forward? When you're trying to fight the flood? What's that like? Does it work? And have you ever noticed when your heart is resigned? It's standing still. And we're looking for something different. We're looking for the raft. It's not pushing forward and it's not standing still. And what I notice when I reflect on pushing forward and standing still, to me, it's a kind of reactivity. I'm fighting the anxiety or the anger or the frustration. I'm fighting the judgments and the criticisms. I'm trying to fight the water coming down the road. It's a kind of silly image, don't you think? <laughs> and yet that's what the mind does. So how do we cross over without pushing forward and not without standing still? And I, I guess the first thing I want to point out in this story, which I think is uh, so powerful, to remember it's a flood. It's not a creek. It ain't a stream. It's a flood. And, and I want to point out sometimes what uh, comes with that, if you've ever looked at fast water running, maybe you have that feeling. I remember looking out like recently just at our house like, wow, it would be impossible to cross over that water. It's running so quickly. It would be so dangerous. 
It's not possible. And I actually want to normalize that. Have you ever come across the difficulties in your life where it feels like this isn't possible? It's like I, I run up against again and again. Here I am faced with my own crazy mind. It doesn't work. I, I don't have nowhere to go. So I want to say in some ways that's the beginning of a spiritual path when we're confronted with that, where we realize there's something really deep going on. And the promise of this path, or the rumor, as they say, you have to figure out if it's right, is that there's actually a raft. And as I said, sometimes it's not the flood and the immensity of it, but it could be, as I mentioned previously, it's the experience of a taste of the other side where you realize there's potential in this heart and mind to be free. You have a taste of being present, of being open or being grounded. And it's, it's powerful, it's motivating. So I wanna share a little bit about finding the raft, discovering the raft that you might be able to relate to. That, of course, it might be different for you. And I'm just sharing with you some reflections about what would it feel like to find some of this raft? What does it do for us? What are some of, what does the raft feel like? What are some elements to it? And what I started to discover just like in this past week, the, the potency of this metaphor is that it was like that um, sometimes for me, it feels like in the flood, I discover the raft. Have you ever noticed that? You look in the, in the flood, right there, you look in the flood and there's the raft. How is that? Have you noticed how your challenges, your particular floods, sometimes there's something powerful and moving and helpful in the midst of it. And like this saying uh, from Secho Jukin, Secho Jukin was a, a Zen practitioner. He was the compiler, for those of you Zen practitioners of the Hekigan Roku or the, uh, it's called the Blue Cliff, Cliff Record. And he has this phrase that I think is so powerful. It's just this, uh, two parts of this phrase of, here in the dragon's jaws, many precious jewels. Right here, right here in the dragon's jaws, many precious jewels. Can you find the jewels and the challenges of your life? What are they? And to trust that they're there, they're there in the dragon's jaws. Like as I mentioned before, the, the jewels that I've been finding in the flood is uh, just the power of generosity. It's been so powerful to see it manifest in so many different ways. And to feel like, oh, th this, is, this is actually a raft that takes me over the flood. On both sides to receive, I feel like both my partner and I have received so much generosity with help around sandbags and emotional support and support with, with basic things that has been, it, it's, it's helped with the flood 
in very real practical ways. And also to offer that. Like I know some of you on Zoom and others of you, you know, I saw some of you at King Street where we were filling up bags of sand and helping out that ways. I think there was over a hundred volunteers on Saturday. Like there was someone told me that there was like some of you on Zoom told me this like ten full teams of people. So deeply moving to see that. And also to be part of that, you know, to be filling up sandbags to help out my neighbors around this, to to engage in that way. And of course, this is the beginning of the path. And, and it's like I realized, oh, this is why it's the beginning of the path, because it makes a real raft in terms of community. And I mentioned some of this last time. And it can be skipped over as if meditation is the thing that's going to, is the raft that leads us to, to awakening and freedom. Yeah, it is. But it's not the only part of the raft. And what I want to say is like, I don't think the raft works really well just with meditation if there's no generosity there. And I think there's some elements around this that I think is really important in terms of generosity, which is the sense of generosity for others and ourselves. And what I find is often people can lean in one direction or other and be unbalanced. Sometimes people give so much to others that there's a forgetting of oneself or so involved in oneself that we forget about others. And both are off balance. And what I love about early Buddhism, at least, is that the Buddha is really clear. It's important to take care of. Come on in, please. Yeah, and there's some chairs here if you want to sit in a chair or sit on the cushion. The Buddha is really clear about the importance of, of both, that it's not just about taking care of others. You have to take care of yourself. Like, for example, you're going to hear I got obsessed with the idea of floods and things like that in these, these early discourses is what I do. I'm a nerd. I can't help it. So the Buddha sometimes gives uh, instructions to lay practitioners. And one of them is, is what is the skillful way to use your resources or wealth? If you have resources. Of course, one is generosity. The other one is to protect oneself. To protect oneself from fires, floods. It's <laughs> pretty cool. Kings, that would be a very interesting topic, wouldn't it be, to modernize. What does it mean to protect yourself from the losses from kings. <laughs> I'll let your mind do what it does with that one. Of course, uh, and then comes after kings, uh, thieves. I don't know if those should be combined at times. <laughs> so fires, floods, kings, thieves. And the other one is um, maybe not so applicable. Where is it? And um, displeasing heirs. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. I'll again leave that to you of how you interpret that for modern times. Right? Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself with these basic needs. Like having a relative sense of safety is actually important for our spiritual practice. And yeah, there are spiritual practitioners of stories of spiritual practitioners practicing through not having basic needs. And I find that inspiring. But also the Buddha is really clear. It's really good to have basic needs met so that we can deepen towards freedom. There's like a practicality there rather than being having this idealism around this. And even with monastics, so there's a rule around the rains retreat, which I find interesting. Because sometimes we think monastics should just be with whatever, but the, the Buddha is really clear that a monastic should have four walls and a roof over their head during the rains retreat. Isn't it interesting that that's a rule, which is like 
please take care of yourself. When we talk about being with what is, it doesn't mean stopping taking care of yourself. And yes, taking care of others and taking care of yourself. Both are important. So basic needs are important. And on a broader scale, just coming back to external events like floods, it can be really helpful just in terms of the acts of generosity. Sometimes physiologically, it can be helpful if you can to act in some way, to, to actually do actions so that the system doesn't shut down in a way. So often like doing physical things, I find really helpful. And if I can't do physical things, when I donate, to imagine that that money's going to help people in particular ways can feel like I'm involved in at least some small way. This is how generosity can bring a, a sense of stability. Also, when we're, you know, finding this raft and navigating um, the flood, I, I just want to talk about a hindrance that can happen around when we navigate floods. Because sometimes we get all twisted in our hearts and minds. It can feel like, oh, the flood I'm dealing with is so much easier than the flood that everyone else is dealing with. And what it does is it minimizes my experience. Maybe there's a place for that frame for sure but it can minimize our experience so we don't fully embrace it. Or it can be like, my flood is so much more challenging than others and I'm getting lost in that. So the comparing can take me out of seeing how I can find the raft. Just uh, two more things. I think the other thing that I noticed about floods is that sometimes what was so powerful about noticing that water coming down was to slow down and get the feeling sense of the flood itself, not get so interested in the things that are coming in the flood, the content, but the feeling of itself. And the same with like if you're navigating anxiety or worry or anger, sometimes so often my mind goes to what I'm angry about or what I'm afraid of or what I'm worried about, but what's the flow of worry itself feel like? Because that is a gateway into being present with it, which is the raft that carries me to the other shore. So here's some reflections on floods, internal, external. Can you find the raft that takes you to the other shore to build it through generosity, through being present? correct view of what's finding the jewels. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.